This is the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In October of 2020, I did a webinar on playtesting mobile games with Eli Murad from Playtest Cloud. We talked about how you can learn more about your game by focusing on the player's experience from early on in development all the way to soft launching and going live. But before we go to the webinar recording, here's a few words from our sponsors. We all know that developing a great game is one thing, but developing a great games business can be something else entirely. That's why some of the top game developers in the industry use IronSource's Game Growth platform, which takes care of both sides of the business, helping you monetize and to fuel your user acquisition. I for one wish we were using these guys in the early days of Next Games. You might also have heard of their Level Up podcast and a Medium blog. In terms of gaming content, this blog is up there with the best, featuring game industry experts talking all things game design, development, and growth. See for yourself by searching for Iron Source Level Up on Medium or Spotify. Hey game developer, are you looking for great new authentic video creatives? Try something totally new with influencer-generated content IGC by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific creative content for your games. An Opera event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Get a free video with a purchase of four or more videos. Remember to say that Elite Game Developers sent you to claim your free video. Go to getigc.com to see some examples and get more information. That's getigc.com. Yes, let's do it. I'm gonna share my screen in a sec. Nice. I'll just introduce quickly. So uh, we were chatting about doing this webinar like a few months ago, and then we postponed it a bit, but then I'm really happy to, to go and start talking about playtesting with you. I think this is a, a realm which is sort of like, I don't know, underappreciated in some parts of gaming. So gaming is booming, like, you know, numbers are high. It is. But it it's sort of like, you know, there's abundance of capital coming into games. So a lot of developers are just like pushing, getting the game out, seeing the numbers. But like, what could be done earlier and what could be done regarding like researching like your audience and finding why a game resonates or not. So it's really cool to talk with you Eli, today. Well, I'm really happy to, to be here. Um, as you said, yeah, we, we've been prepping this one for um, quite a while now. Um, the opportunity is great. The context where, uh, you know, everybody is pretty much at home. Um, the fact mm. that, you know, there is a platform like EGD for that is great as well. Um, Thanks. I'm really, really excited to share the, the, the stories that our, um, you know, game studios that we work with um, have shared with us. Um, some cool stuff, good findings, and uh, and yeah, let's get going. Yeah, yeah. Playtest Cloud, like we were using you guys at Next Games for like, I think from 2014 already or 15, 
uh, for Walking Dead No Man's Land. And like, it was always such a, like a eye-opening moment to see when players can't play the game. Yeah. <laughs> that was because you are kind of like in the office with your team playing. Oh, it's fine. Like we, there's no bugs here. And then you get a set of videos where people are sort of like swiping somewhere on the screen where nothing is happening. And yes, yeah, like <laughs> uh, more of those kind of things coming in a, in a bit. I'll, I'll first talk from my perspective. I'll, I'll share the screen now here. Uh, so can you see Ili, my screen? Perfectly, yes. All right. So my top five takeaways from playtesting. So my first kind of experience with playtesting is probably like over 10 years ago doing our, our Facebook games in my first startup uh, where we were doing like focus groups, whatnot, small, small scale. Back in the day, it wasn't as easy. You needed to kind of find your own testers. Nowadays, there's a lot of services like Playtest Cloud who facilitate you know, the, the hiring of these people to come in with a small, like, you know, incentive of paying them to play a game and then talk what they're doing. But yeah, the, the top five for me in my career, first, like, there's a lot of people in the, the community who know me. So I'm Joachim Akren, the founder and CEO of Elite Game Developers, which is a, a game startup school. Uh, that's what I'm kind of calling it at the moment, where I'm putting a lot of content online regarding how to start a company my background is that i i started my first company iron star helsinki 15 years ago uh, which eventually failed uh, and i went to supercell to to do analytics there for for a year and a half uh, then mobile started really taking off free to play i left to start next games uh, with four other co-founders and uh, left last year to start elite game developers, as I mentioned, this new new kind of way to educate people into starting and building games companies. Yeah, the first out of my top five is sort of like this realization of what is playtesting. So you could really think about this uh, experience of you're bringing in people to try a game and the developers are sort of like observing what's going on. This was the traditional model. Nowadays, you have these services where you upload a build and you get videos in 24 to 48 hours to watch those videos where somebody's playing the game. But sort of like in during next games, like the period that I, I was more or less spending a lot of time facilitating the playtesting effort at next games, I realized that this is it's much more bigger than just you know watching somebody play your game so there's a in a sense this this terminology that you know it's because it's much broader than the, just the play testing but i figured out this thing called gur uh, which stands for game user research it's it's so much about like what you can like pull out of the player uh before they start playing when they're playing and like why are they coming back and how do you make them come back more? So from the life cycle of the game coming out, uh, the game being being just a concept, you can already apply a lot of this, this approach that playtesting is only one sliver of this. So I, I, I tried, it, tried to categorize this like into four different 
clouds regarding like what is happening when you're starting to figure out your game. Um, so you have, so I, I excluded metrics mostly because I believe this is more about this kind of like qualitative data set uh, where you are looking at more about like what is what is something that you know you can't quantify that hey there's a funnel where you have uh, 100 people not getting through the tutorial which is very accurate but that doesn't really tell you why and then you start going and you might see a bug okay that's obvious but then there's other stuff that doesn't really come up through metrics so you always need to have this component of one of these so I, I categorize this into playtesting, which is to watch somebody play your game or to some other, in other ways, uh, monitor or measure them playing your game and more like giving these sentiments about like how it's going, not data. It's again, like what can't you do with data? Then you uh, turn towards playtesting. And then focus groups, that's even more like drilling down into the questions. Like we did a lot of focus groups at Next Games. We were doing them before we uh, started development on a game to figure out the audience, like for an IP, since Next Games does IP-based games. We're looking at like a certain IP, like Blade Runner, uh, what the fans of Blade Runner want in a game. What, is, what are the experiences there? Then, then for surveys, we did all sorts of surveys also regarding before the game goes out and after. And player personas, I think that's, that's sort of like where you start like thinking about the motivations of the players. You have a lot of services like Quantic Foundry, 12 Trades, who are looking at this persona data, which you can use to build the game for a particular audience versus uh, not knowing who who what are the needs, specific needs of your audience? So number two takeaway is that what is game user research good for when you only have an idea? Like that, that focus group that I just mentioned, like if you can bring a group of people to, to a meeting room, to a location where you can chat with them uh, and they represent the audience who you are making the game for, you can ask a lot of really interesting questions. What kind of games they play? Uh, what kind of knowledge level do they have regarding uh, existing gaming genres? Are they already familiar with match tree mechanics, for instance, what not? And then, then you, you can ask also like, what is essential in the games that they love? And, uh, don't go into asking like, hey, what kind of game would you want to do? I think that does, that never works where you ask them to design it for you. But it's more about like understanding the realm, their fantasy of what they like and what the audience will definitely resonate towards if something like that would come along. So we did a lot of these kind of like meeting room uh, setups, but you can also do it like in a cafe. It doesn't need to be as fancy as this setup, it, as long as you can like have a group conversation and you can somehow uh, take notes and record the discussion. And then surveys, sending out stuff like, because uh, if you, you can use something like PickFu, uh, which is a, uh, it's a pick. FU is this service that uh, I've at least tried once where you can like identify groups of people 
like you know if you if you're making a game for the audience who plays a game like township like you can use pickfu to identify for them to actually find people who love uh township and then you can start asking questions regarding an audience who would love that game because you're making a game for them so it's it's really useful to 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 pull out data people fill these surveys on their own and then you get the data and you can start crunching the numbers and looking at what is actually going on and then finally the player personas this is something that you should think about based on what you discovered from the focus groups what you discovered from the surveys and then you build this kind of like audience profile for your game and you can always ask okay what would our our player think about this decision that we're making with the game right now which is in, still in concepting phase which is in development we're figuring out do they like competition do they like collaboration what are their their drivers so going into that realm is super uh, cheap when you're still uh, you know, at that stage where you can make a lot of uh, early decisions. So yeah, the the player persona is actually something that I think still like resonates afterwards. When you have nailed down the persona, you don't need to to think about more like, okay, uh, are we making this game for ourselves? You're not asking, do I love the feature that we're adding, but more is the audience that we decided early on going to be loving what we're doing. So number three, what is game user research good for when you have a game running? So if you have these, these three focus group surveys, player personas, you're doing these, but then you add playtesting to the mix, which is because you now, now you have a game running. You can start looking at people experiencing the game. Uh, they're playing it on their own. You can like, you know, allow them to take it home for the weekend. This is what we did a lot with Next Games. We didn't just do external testing, but we did a lot of internal as well to measure sort of like things that were they improving? Like, hey, this is the build number 0.1 and it's now going for a weekend test. We measure some results. The team takes those results, improves things. And then a month later, we organize another play test where again, people are playing. So, you know, you don't have the exact audience there internally in your company, but you can at least measure if things are improving for certain aspects, which aren't relatable to the audience per se, but they're more or less like understandability, UX, UI, things like that. And some long-term goals, if people are like resonating towards something in the game, that they would want to come back for several days and weeks for. And then playtesting can definitely incorporate a lot more than just the, the, the actual game. You can think about the funnel as well. You can think about the motivations of the player persona. Are they being surfaced in the game really well? Uh, is the flow of the game like good that players enjoy the activity that they're doing and getting forward there? And finally, the UX UI bit is really important. That's especially like a playtest cloud. That like when we were doing tests at Next Games for UI UX purposes, playtest cloud is absolutely the best because you can get people who have no knowledge about the game, nothing, and they're getting 
to try it out and they can't find a button that everybody on your team can find. So there must be some issues. So these are these are like obvious places to, to improvements when you do the playtesting properly. Uh, number four, what are some common mistakes in game user research? So the, some of these might be really obvious for the, the users, but like for you guys, but like a buggy client uh, definitely is going to hurt <laughs> like a test. Like I remember we were doing the R world tests where we had augmented reality where you could shoot the zombies with your camera on and it really wasn't working on all the devices as we thought it would uh, discover a lot of issues uh, when you have some some other app running in the background it might be crashing uh, all sorts of weird things maybe somebody turns it into landscape from portrait and it crashes because it's in the augmented reality mode so these kind of things like uh, it, it's good that you're you're at least figuring them out through through a service like Playtest Cloud. Of course, it would be great to do it beforehand. So you're sort of like not doing the test to just find bugs. You need to be doing it to, to find this kind of like qualitative improvements for a game. And of course, like if you're doing a paid test and people are commenting your game, you need to be sort of cautious about like, if they're saying that, yeah, I love the game. Of course they love it now. <laughs> like, would they love it on their own when they download it from the app store? It's always, you know, up for a question, is that the fact? So what you need to do there is then rely into doing surveys with your live audience and figuring out how much are they interested in playing the game? Like you could ask your live players, like uh, one to five question where one is, uh, totally disagree and five would be totally agree where you ask like hey I'm going to be playing this game uh, from one month from now or I'm really going to play be playing this game from one month from now so you get this sentiment from people and then if you ask the question from 100 500 players you're going to look at like the data and you'll see like okay at what level of the game do people start answering uh like worse that like it's highly unlikely you're kind of come back so yeah be wary about the play to play paid tests because of what the people are saying you need to just observe what they're touching on the screen and if they're doing things in a way that indicates there's really good flow in how they're playing so and asking for design ideas is always tricky a lot of people like when I was making like a survey, uh, a lot of people might ask like, hey, can you throw in a question where you're asking like, what would be the next cool feature for the game? And it, it, it's sort of, it's tough to actually give that to the players. It's more important to sort of like make your own judgment on that area. If you do these questions, you need to just keep that in mind that the players aren't really like uh, professional game designers at all. So they don't know what kind of like points to which. So if they, they come up with a feature that uh, doesn't really like move the needle that you know that it won't, like be cautious about those ideas. And then treating soft launch as a playtest. I've seen this happen a lot. Uh, it's, it's sort of sad if you end up doing it that way that like, like just go out and ask people, your friends to play the build and watch them play the build. That's the least you could do as a playtest. Like, just do that at least. 
So the last point I wanted to talk about today is like how should a should a small startup approach game user research when you don't when you have a limited budget or whatnot. But then then it really like goes into this realm of going to the to the outside world and taking the game with you and watching people play it. I think this is the option to do. There's a lot of like stories from Rovio when they were figuring out Angry Birds and they they did a lot of playtesting with like family and friends. And there was this mother test where the mom was playing the game. And if the mom liked it, it's sort of like signal that it's it has this attractiveness level, which sort of like expands past the gamers. So it's sort of like simple enough to pick up for your mom. And that really, and the mom loves it. Uh, it indicates that, okay, th this has broad appeal and it seems to be working. So how do we start testing from here to, to figure out what is still like wrong in the game? What are the issues? So for small startups, just use your friends and family for this purpose. Uh, figure out like things that where you don't need to spend money uh, to, to get results and in, involve your whole team in this uh, effort to, to gather data on the game. Yeah, that's my set for today. Just a quick notice that there's EliteGameDevelopers.com. We have the blog, the podcast. Uh, there's a lot of content there. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. And we're going to share this recording later there, there on the site as well. So, uh, But yeah, uh, I'll give it to you, Eli, now. Nice uh, stuff, nice stuff. I'll really enjoy your, your bit on it, the unique perspective as a, um, yeah. Thanks, man. Like a mobile uh, mobile dev veteran and uh, the Finland ecosystem, uh, how Rovio made it uh, with homemade GUR. It's uh, it's cool stuff, cool stuff. Yeah, that's the um, way it goes. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I'll I'll start sharing my screen and uh, we'll get yeah. going with my with my bit. Yeah, just a reminder to the audience: please put your uh, questions into the Q and A section here in the Zoom. If if you have anything, uh, we'll happily take those questions from there after Eli's presentation. Nice. Cool. Sharing my screen now. Um, here we go. Yes. Mm, nice. Cool. So, hi, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Eli Moore. I am a um, project manager at Playtest Cloud. Playtest Cloud is a, um, it's a German-based or Berlin-based company uh, that specializes in uh, usability tests uh, for mobile games. Uh, and I'll start, um, you know, definitely today uh, talking about my and our clients uh, and partners, top discovery while playtesting. But before that, I'll just like to do a, um, just a qu quick uh, setback on our story where, uh, you know, Playtest Cloud is from, what we do, and uh, are we relevant to talk about uh, playtesting discoveries today. Um, it all started in 2012 uh, when these two gentlemen, Marvin Killing on the left and uh, Christian Ress on the right, founded Playtest Cloud. It started as a um, it started as a school project uh, in their uh, computing science degree, and then it morphed into uh, the company that we know now. Uh, really, really nice um, story from there. Uh, started from Potsdam, moved to Berlin in Germany. Their vision initially was and still is to um, build a tool, a platform to um, for game studios 
for mobile game studios to help them uh, and help you play test your game and make better games. Um, speaking of games, uh, I believe that in eight years of time, more than yeah, more than three thousand five hundred games were tested on the platform. Uh, it just tells you that we are playtesting a, a lot of games. The variety is just huge from, uh, you know, big blockbuster uh, mobile games to indie, uh, indie games, um, casual to hardcore, you name it. They probably uh, pretty much all have been playtested on the platform. And um, the variety doesn't stop uh, with the game, but uh, with the uh, we call them clients, but uh, like the game studios that work with us. Um, you had Next Games back then. Um, we also have like big names, big studios, but not only. Um, and I think that's what makes the uh, strength of the the company and the platform is that this is uh, accessible for pretty much everyone who makes games uh, and at every single stage of your uh, development of the game. So that's uh, I think one of the definitely one of the strength of Playtest Cloud right now. Um, so as I said, I'm going to share some uh, top stories just to give you a bit of background on how I uh, prepped this uh, presentation. I've interviewed four game studios that you will probably um, remember, like recognized uh, when I passed the slide. And yeah, we just exchanged um, via Zoom and email and uh, I gathered their top stories and then I uh, just I'm going to present them to you today. So everything is coming from real uh, game studios with real playtests that happen. Um, yeah, let's get started with the uh, first top story of the day. And um, today we'll start with Playdots, uh, an American company that makes a gorgeous uh, puzzle game. Um, and their game is called Two Dots. They uh, contacted us a couple of months back and drew the uh, Product manager on two dots or a project manager on two dots um, had a um, specific feature in the game that they wanted to um, wanted to play test and uh, that's a healthy play testing habits that they have at uh, play dots that they um, cook their feature in house and then they um, play test this specific feature to uh, our players right and they just want to know if the uh, Feature is ready to be released, right? Um, there, that like one hypothesis when they um, work on this uh, win streak feature is that it could have a, a negative potential impact. That's uh, something that they were thinking about, but you know, like they needed uh, they needed data, they needed to look at uh, qualitative, you know, videos of people experiencing this win streak feature to to assess it. Um, and they used a, a really really interesting method. So the uh, win streak is a feature that isn't um, part of the what we call the first time user experience is something that i will uh, talk about a lot ftue uh, it's introduced a bit later in the game i believe it's after the level 38 or something so they went for a three days longitudinal study that would make total sense and uh, they did something really interesting they um, split their audience into two groups one group was really experienced with their game uh, two dots so they were like seasoned players of the game. They knew their way around and they were actually playing on their own uh, the game. And they used another uh, group, totally new players, um, fresh pair of eyes, just a blank page. And they really compared the, um, these two groups and see how the specific feature of the win streak was perceived with uh, group A experience, group B newbies. And they 
had a really nice discovery. So at first, they really thought it would be somehow a bit like, you know, um, have the potential to be uh, somehow negative. But they, they found out, uh, especially by looking at the uh, newbie uh, group of players, that after a while, the players got a bit bored, right? Uh, they weren't really like, you know, expecting anything new after day two. And at the very end of their um, play test, they were introduced to this specific feature. And then their uh, appeal for the game, their engagement for the game just went up and they were really, really hyped by the by the game again. You know, doing win streaks means you stay longer in the game because you don't want to break your win streak. And uh, it's just overall like, you know, bring more reward for the players. And it was just like, just a hit. And I need to mention also that the, the group of seasoned players uh, started their um, three-day playtest with a build that had I'd fast forward the first time user experience because that wasn't really uh, useful because they already played the game. And even these veteran players had really good feedback. So what they did at uh, PlayDots is that they decided to take action. They um, moved things around and they uh, decided to introduce the win streak early on in the FTUE. So um, it's a bold move that actually paid off because they got back to us a couple of months ago and it really had a big impact in uh, in-app purchase IAP and conversion rate overall the game just went up big times with this specific feature. So a simple but well-planned three days longitudinal study had actual real, um, you know, money impact for the old company. So this is something great. Um, kudos to uh, to Drew and his team for having like really well-prepped uh, and well-designed uh, the study. We're moving on to the uh, second study of the day, or second story of the day. Uh, this is, again, uh, another game, another studio, but the method is the same. So uh, we're talking about a um, three-day longitudinal as well. Uh, different discoverings, though. Um, this first one, like the, this one is um, coming from Inno Games, so a uh, German game studio based in Hamburg. And I had uh, the chance to talk with Malte, uh, a game user researcher there. And they had this new game. So they're, they're doing city builder games, uh, mid-core audience games, right? With a lot of content, uh, long living games. Um, and they had this new game um, that they really wanted to, um, not, not finished, you know, just a game being developed. And they wanted to see how the game could be perceived by, by players uh, over the course of three days. So they went for the longitudinal study and they decided to compare their new games to a, uh, one of their legacy games, so their um, Forge of Empires, that's the uh, actual game that is uh, out there in their uh, portfolio. And they wanted to compare like these newly released, but similar to their old games and see how they um, how they uh, behave, right? So they wanted to improve retention, improve DFTUE as well. That was their ultimate goal. They had a uh, an hypothesis that you know their new game wasn't finished, so not all the features were, were there. But they decided a uh, there was a bold move. They decided to um, start their uh, playtest with only a limited amount of uh, available features, like the guild, PvP, and some uh, in-game chats weren't there yet. So they had what they called a light version of the game. And since they wanted to do a kind of A/B test, compare these two, they decided, and that's really clever to um, to trim uh, a bit uh, their 
Fortress Empire version of the game. So they created the build and they removed some of the features. So they were kind of equally light versions. And um, they went for three days. They had a look at the players playing their games and they could compare how the new and the old game behaved with a focus on the new game, of course. And what they found was, again, super interesting. They found out that the version of their game, um, Forge of Empires, that had little little features in the uh, in the specific test, perform better when it comes to retention. Uh, so players uh, were, you know, less overwhelmed by uh, features. They're like more time to get to know the game uh, step by step, gradually, as opposed to having a uh, big flow of um, information, features, possibilities uh, at once. And it really, really had a big impact. And uh, I'll emphasize the big impact because it, it kind of changed uh, the way uh, Inner Games designed their FTUE. They, um, from a only three days longitudinal study, at first they wanted to only focus on their new games, but they found good findings of their, of their old games that they only used as a kind of guinea pig, and they they rechanged the way they uh, they introduce features. The tempo of it uh, has been changed as well, and they are going on a more gradual approach now. And it's you know increased the retention of their actual game Forge, but also um, open them up for new processes and new approaches. So it has a it had a big big impact and uh, also an unexpected. So it lived for the for the design uh, motto, less is more, that's something that uh, they learned with this specific playtest. We are uh, moving to the third story of the day. And this story is um, also like the studio Colibri, Colibri Games, uh, based in Berlin. Um, they have this game called Idle Minor Tycoon. And they were also interested in, um, you know, checking the FTUE and see how uh, players react to their specific uh, first X minute of the game. Um, and one of their like you know KPIs was to improve the day one retention like all studios in the world. But the way they did it is uh, also super smart. I think they went on a, um, they went on a, um, on a specific uh, process for this one. So they, they were seeing, um, messages on their uh, app store pages you know where you can leave reviews um, of confused players and confusing messages players were uh, obviously you know angry at something because they took the time to you know write on their uh, keyboard but nothing was articulated it was more like hey this game cool but i'm stuck or lots of unclear feedback and the hypothesis was that you know they also received email in their uh, customer support tool that yeah something was wrong, but they couldn't really tell what. And they decided to order a simple, simple playtest, single session, 30 minutes, uh, just to see how players react to the first time user experience. They invited a um, fresh pair of eyes, players who are not experienced with the idle uh, genre, but like casual games, so a potential audience, but no, like they're not really familiar with the core mechanics of the games of the genre. And what I found is also super interesting. It is a, a double discovery for you today. The first one is a um, one of the UI elements, a key UI element of the tutorial was uh, hidden, missing. And the second one is that a core mechanic of the game, something that is uh, 
what they call like, you know, the idle mining game is uh, what they call the bottleneck management. So you just manage three channels and then you make them as productive as it can be and you generate resources, right? I think it's, um, yeah, picture will speak louder than my explanation. We'll go in game uh, just to give you a bit of uh, context, right? So we are looking at the, um, what looks like the uh, one of the first screen that you see when you start the tutorial of the game. This is a vertically structured game where you have a mine, uh, you need to generate resource. And the line that you see this uh, specific level is called a mine shaft, right? You're invited in the tutorial to create a second mine shaft to expand your uh, business and make more resources. And to do that, uh, there is a, UI feedback, uh, I believe it's a uh, like a, an arrow that you know invited you to scroll down and then you will see a button similar to the new shaft. You will create your first new shaft and then move on to the tutorial. And for, for some players who played on a, um, I believe it's the iPhone SE, the really small screen one, the UI element was missing. So you couldn't see uh, the prompt, the call to action. And then some players, just never had the idea that they would, they could even scroll down. So they spent a lot of time manually doing the work of their uh, their mining uh, mining characters, and uh, yeah, created a lot of frustration. That's uh, they broke the game, uh, kind of. And that was a big findings. The second one is for players who managed to get the second shaft. So that's the second level. There's this elevator on the left that goes down gets the resources, bringing it up to a depot, right? And when you unlock your second shaft, your elevator is only blocked to a certain level of uh, capacity, right? Can only take one payload at a time. So players were complaining that the elevator would never go down to the second shaft and they were you know, sending a fire message to the support and it find out that you can actually tap on the on this part of the um, elevator and level up your elevator. And by leveling up, you will increase the payload and then reach the second, third, fourth shaft. And this was not abuse and it led to a lot of uh, lot of frustration for the players. So all in all, they made two big discoveries in a one single 30 minutes play test. Um, and they took action, they improved the UI for the call to action button, I guess reworked the compatibility with small screens. And they also created a conditional tutorial that triggers if your shaft at level X and your elevator is still blocked at level one, at some point a prompt will come in into the game and say, hey, your elevator can be upgraded, please do so. And you know, all in all, they increased their day one retention, they um, decreased the uh, rage that they receive on their support. I believe that they increase their overall Google Play and um, App Store review rate. So all in all, you know, a cheap single session had a lot of impact. Um, the next example is a, um, it's a really good one too. Um, and it's brought to you by our friend at Gameloft. Um, they have this game called Lego Unboxed legacy so this is a team rpg team rpg game on the uh, lego ip right sorry and um they run a usability test that's a a good playtesting uh, habit that they have to uh, you know check the how the game performed with uh, just doing a little usability check using playtest cloud and they had no clear hypothesis they just ran uh, 
for a single session and see how the, the players behave with it. And um, they got some good findings um, that one of the core mechanics of the game was kind of unclear. I wouldn't say unclear. I think it wasn't really timed, uh, properly timed. Uh, and again, we are moving in-game because that's where I'll be able to make myself clear. So that's the game, two teams. You're on the left with your characters and you're facing your opponents on the right. Each character can um, cast spell and select opponents and you defeat them. Now, we are in the tutorial, really early stage of the game and uh, you have the ability to manually, like it is displayed here, manually select a, a character with the red, um, the red aura around him. And that's how you actually like progress and beat the beat your opponents in battles. But in the early version of the game, they introduced a um, a feature before the single selection um, feature, and that was the taunt mechanic. For those of you who are uh, experienced with the uh, team RPG, this character here, the orange one, is a tank that absorbs damage, uh, basically gets the damage from in from the enemy to protect his team. And this specific character has a uh, an ability called Taunt. I think he's pushing up some uh, some uh, some bells. And uh, the Taunt mechanic was also introduced within the enemy team. So you would start the battle and you could, before you knew you could singly select enemies. You only had the option to, because the Taunt mechanic was introduced first, to only select one enemy, the enemy with Taunt. And it, after that, the uh, it wasn't really clear that the you know the single select could be used again. So players had their first um, experience by actually not being able to singly select uh, enemies, which led to some yeah kind of frustration after the after the the other battles because they were like losing too fast. And uh, what the what the team at Gameloop did is that they did a a real like team effort where they. A, introduce a, a manual targeting first, and after that, next battle, the taunt mechanic. Um, so they just shifted the uh, the order of the the mechanics that they were introducing. And then they also worked with their, um, their art team to create a big visual feedback. And I'm going to quote them because it's good. They added a big, juicy taunt uh, <laughs> feedback on top of the character so to make it just real obvious. And overall, yeah, they reduced player confusion and just like made a better game. So kudos to them as well. Um, I think we are running right on time. Uh, I do have a, a a bonus for you. It's not per se a top discovery, but it's something that came up uh, while while talking with Malte from Inno Games actually. Uh, so they've been using us uh, using Playtest Cloud, and you know they've introduced playtesting in general uh, for quite a long time now. And uh, they had, Malte told me that he had a, uh, like he gathered a video of a, uh, specifically good video of a uh, player that was right on his target audience, a, you know, really well articulated players that just was fluent in the game, right on point, good feedback all the time. Overall, like what you can dream of, you know, like real good players. and. He's using this player to uh, to share it with the other other departments like game design or um, art and so on, and just say, hey, if you're feeling down at some point, uh, just watch this video because we're making games for them, for players like that. And 
these players, there are, you know, lots of players out there that just love what you're doing, love what we are doing. And it was just like, they use it as a, yeah, feel good, feel good video. So it doesn't really bring a lot of discovery to it, but it's just like, hey, we're making good game. We are on a good track and this real player playing our real game, uh, us waking up every morning to do that. It's just, it makes sense. And uh, I just, just felt like sharing it. It's a, it's a cool story. Mm. as a bonus now i'm just going to finish real quick with a conclusion i think all of these told us one thing is that if you want to get uh find big discoveries and then improve your game it always starts with the same thing it's a well-planned or a you know well thought out playtest no matter what you do what you use you need to be you need to take time to plan it choose the right method choose the right uh, like you know like drew did and uh, and dots look at the right players um you know and then you will be able to uh, if you really plan your playtest you will be able to um unlock discoveries after that i think it's a key uh key part of it the second one is to embrace the unexpected as a uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, sentence, but it actually means a lot. Whenever you start something, you will confront your game, your work, your, your part of your life to someone who is uh, potentially going to play your game. And they will say things. They will play your game in a way that you might not be uh, comfortable, familiar with. And there are no bad, bad feedback. If someone is uh, like doesn't know how to play your game and 10 other people know how to play your game, it's still worse to listen to the, or try to understand why this specific single player didn't see your button or didn't thought about scrolling down on a vertically uh, designed game. Things like that, um, I think it's the unexpected has a lot to offer. Um, you also need to look at the results objectively. I mean, the players, you mentioned it can be, you know, get reward and you can say, yeah, like, them as playtesters are not the same as they would be as players but whatever they're telling you they're telling you like they're using their times their words their experience and even what they're not telling you um as a weight you know like i got this story of a uh, someone who played a game in a multiplayer game and then answered a survey and during the survey uh, were asked hey please tell us what you thought about the multiplayer's experience and said up oh, never played the multiplayer of this game uh mm. So the players spent an hour not knowing what they were playing, uh, which mode they were playing. But by looking at the results from the survey, they found out that there was a discrepancy that players had no clue that they were. So all the data are um, valuable if you use the like science, uh, science approach kind of thing. Mm. And the last one is, yeah, be ready to make changes. All of these are great discoveries, but they're great changes uh, if you're willing to like change your game, change your FTUE. And yeah, rethink the the way you are uh, like interacting with your game. And just like finally, uh, I'm over time now. Uh, if you want to know more about like, we have this uh, blog at Playtest Cloud that is uh, being uh, structured and fed by uh, Jack, talented Jake Rundell, our customer success manager. Uh, yeah, lots of good stuff. Um, it is a and it is going to be a uh, like hotspot for anyone who is interested in playtesting. Lots of cool stuff, case studies, videos, uh, more to come. I really recommend. If you're interested in playtesting, of course, 
get in touch with us at Playlist Cloud. We have uh, solutions for pretty much every single type of project at every single stage. So I really encourage you to uh, give it a shot. Um, we'll be able to help. And if you want to keep in touch, uh, talk about player recruitment, Valorant, Red Dead Redemption, or no matter what, just uh, yeah, stay in touch with me. Mm -hmm. And that's it for me today. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Eli. This was yeah. really good. I'm going to stop sharing my screen right now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just need to mention one service that I really remember using from you guys was the where you could basically upload a presentation like PowerPoint slides mm. and people the concept from your, test, yeah. yeah. And we've been concept. improving the concept uh, concept test a lot. It is used uh, for pre uh, like you know pre alpha games just to do mm. the like the um, art theme of a game AB test. It's really cool. I personally really love the um, like 2D aspect of it. It's focused on images as opposed to yes. a long, long text. And I, I personally like them. So mm. yeah. yeah, it was it was really useful. It's sort of like the, the survey, but a lot more because you can you can use a lot of visuals and stuff like that. Yeah, visuals are great. Yeah, and the person can, you know, explain something in, in their own words. They don't need to yeah. write, you know, like hundreds. It's true, words. it's true, it's true. Yeah, it helps. Hey, let's go into the Q&A here. Please just send more. There's a few here. Uh, I'll ask these and we'll see which one takes which. Uh, why should I playtest my game rather than just soft launch a new feature? What are the benefits? What do you think, Eli? Hmm. I mean, by playtesting your game, you will get results that you can use and that you can share within your team. I'm just meaning that organizing a playtest, you will get a video, you will get survey data that's you know real raw data, uh, qualitative or quantitative that you can use, share, mm. and then um, like you know extract the actual insight from. As opposed to a soft launch, of course, you will be backed by um, you know um, product management tool that will be able to extract data from it. That's absolutely true but you want to have a feedback you want to have a player saying like oh i really like this character it makes me think of uh, kung fu panda and then you won't be able to you know to get this kind of like level of uh, insight from the player you won't get their own words you won't get their own frustration when they will say the f word when they die three times in a world in a row mm -hmm. um, you won't get that you will just say player that died at timestamp X, Y, Z. And it is, it speaks louder than just uh, raw data. It is better to share a footage of someone that is extremely frustrated about a specific feature of your game with your project manager, with your UI artist game designer, than mm. just telling a, hey, look at this curve. This curve is showing us that something is wrong. So Ordinal soft launch is great. Um, Soft launch is definitely great, uh, but playtesting is somehow invaluable uh, when it comes to players' feedback. Yeah, I, I, one thing comes to mind is that you know, with the playtest video, you can see what people are doing before they interact with the feature and how the interaction with the feature changes what they do uh, afterwards. Like, and it's always good to compare, kind of like to to the experience or video where you don't have that feature yet involved. So like, you know, earlier versions of the game, like how mm -hmm. did the flow go there? Like what changes when we add the feature? There's 
there's a lot going on there for sure, which just, you know, metrics can't really like point out. The, they can point out like funnel stuff, uh, what's yeah. going on, but it's it's very restrictive. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, next question. Uh, when I run playtests with kids, what considerations or modifications do I need to make to my playtest mm. test with kids? Uh, you probably have seen this. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a great question, and uh, it's actually good. Um, so at Playtest Cloud, we do um, have a database of players that you know are from the US, Canada, and the UK, and we also have the ability to play test with kids um, aged from three years old till fifteen, and um, there are some, of course, um, some restrictions or limitations because. Um, I'm thinking simple things like you don't want to have, uh, you need to have a specific type of game for kids, like some of the gore games, not going to be play tested for kids. That's the first one. The yeah. content needs to be tailored to a kid audience. Second thing is that at Playtest Cloud, at least, playtesting with kids means playtesting with their parents as well. The parents are the one downloading the game. They are the one who sign up to Playtest Cloud and they are the one who are with their kids on the couch playing the game and you know so you will need and you will have a uh, mixed feedback you won't have just a five-year-old playing your game you will have their parents interacting so it is a bit different there is an interaction it's not just someone one player uh, in a quiet environment there's a lot of talking um, there's a lot of mama what's that or I'm stuck or it's dinner time and then the session starts yeah. back so it is <laughs> It is like a snapshot of a like living room. That's the way I uh, I think about playtesting with kids. And then you have, of course, the usual stuff. If you're playtesting with a three years old, four year old, do not ask twenty written questions. Do not expect the players to articulate. Um, they will speak with their own words. They are like you know growing brains, and um, you should treat them as such. Like um, they are not your typical audience, right? They are. Um, they are growing, growing players, growing, growing persons. So yeah, yeah, you have a lot of uh, things like this. Yeah, makes sense. Then there's one question here. What consideration do I need to make when I run a playtest with a different type of phone, like such as like iPhone 6s in the Colibri example, was it SE? Uh, and then like you have iPhone 12, which is like the, the biggest iPhone we've mm -hmm. ever shipped. <laughs> uh, so is there like a difference in designing the playtest based on the phone? Um, designing the playtest, I don't know. I think um, you need to, like, as you mentioned during your, your part of the pr presentation that was really uh, on point, you want to do the QA before you do playtesting, right? Mm. You want to f uh, kill as many bugs, uh, as you want, as you can before that, you want to have like a people from QA just uh, like you know secure the game, and then when the build is secured, you want it to be shipped to your real players. You're not going to yeah. ship a buggy client to to your players anyway, so that's why it's important. So I'd say it's a I see it as a project manager. I see it as a simple technical requirements, the fact that you're changing from a small to a large phone. And if there is an issue with that, if the display doesn't show the downing arrow on a small phone, if your large phone doesn't scale up, it is QA part. It is more QA than um, than playtesting. Yeah, makes I, I sense. think so. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I definitely like bump into that. Of course, it's it's like really cool when you can show something that the QA missed. <laughs> hey man, uh, this was really fun. Uh, yeah, let's let's do it again in the future. Like more game user research and playtesting stuff is really useful to share. I think it's like still so kind of like under underutilized the whole whole understanding that's going on and but yeah let's let's keep things rolling uh hopefully we get out of the covid so i can visit berlin soon yeah, man you'll be you'll be more than welcome and uh yeah traveling to europe would be would be nice as well yeah <laughs> hey take care man uh, thanks a lot for the time thanks for the opportunity and uh yeah thanks for all of you who showed up for the for the webinar have a nice, nice one guys. yeah you too see Bye you again. If you like our content, please do follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app. And please do leave us a review if that's possible. And don't forget to check out EliteGameDevelopers.com where we have a lot of blog posts coming up every few days and a weekly newsletter. So check those ones out. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.